0: Welcome to the spring break edition of the USC Christian Challenge podcast. Made by students at the University of Southern California, we seek to connect and equip them to know Jesus, live lives that are honoring to him, and make him known to their communities. You can learn more about us at uschristianchallenge.com, connect with us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at USC Challenge, and subscribe to the podcast for more of this series. Without further ado, welcome to the challenge. Father, we, um, we bow before you in our hearts. Uh, you are the one from whom uh, your whole family in heaven and earth draws its name. And what that means is that we are just one of a long line of individuals who have knelt before you. There are many who knelt before you centuries, millennia ago, and are now in heaven. And there are many now, even around this world, that are gathering in your name like we are and are bowing before you. And we just take our place in a long line of kneelers who have knelt before you. And we kneel before you because we have decided that we are not capable of leading our own selves through life, that we need to follow you. And we are not capable of saving ourselves, only you can. And so we pray that out of your great power, you may uh, strengthen us on the inside through faith so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that um, these next couple days as we talk about forgiveness, that you would allow us to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ for us, the very basis of our forgiveness. And I pray that we would, um, these next couple days and moving forward, we would begin to grasp what is really unknowable, and that is how much you love us. We have been rooted and established in your love, and that's the basis from which we can forgive. Without that, we don't have the foundation that allows us to forgive. So I pray that you you would root us in your love for us. And that out of that, you would fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. In a world where people are trying to shove everything possible into the emptiness in their soul, we know that only you can fill the emptiness inside of us. We have tried other things and know that it leads to even deeper emptiness. So we pray that you'd fill us to the measure of all the fullness of God. And we ask this now in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. All right, so the topic um, that I'm going to talk about uh, this morning, tonight, and then Thursday night is total forgiveness. So I want to, I didn't come up with this title. This is a book called Total Forgiveness by R.T. Kendall. And uh, this book was recommended to me. Neil, I was trying to remember when you recommended this book to me, but I think it might have been almost 20 years ago. Um... And I can't remember who I was trying to forgive and not doing well at it, but Neil and I were talking about it, and he recommended this book. So uh, I got this book, and my wife and I worked through it, and it gave us some categories that really helped us begin to understand how to forgive. And it's become a book that every few years, we find ourselves needing to go back through again. Uh, it's we don't have a plan, uh, certain amount of years, but it just seems like eventually the bitterness in our hearts rise to a level where we gotta go through the forgiveness book again, and so we pull this book out, we read through it, and we do the work of forgiveness yet again. So the ideas that I'm going to share with you um, the next couple of days, some of them have come out of this book, and some of them have been just some additional things that I've learned in this um, effort of forgiveness out of God's word. Uh, I used to think that, I used to think of forgiveness primarily as a a transaction, a transaction, like a moment where, either someone asks or you decide, I'm gonna forgive them, and then it's done. And there are moments where that works, but for me, not very many. And so what I've learned is that forgiveness really is more like a life pursuit. Uh, I don't believe I'm going to be done with the work of forgiving until, a there's i I'm no longer here, so no one can hurt me and wrong me. I'm in heaven. And B, I see Jesus face to face, and it makes no more sense for me to prosecute the wrong that others have done against me. At that point, I won't need to work on forgiveness anymore. But until that moment, I'm just going to have to keep working on forgiveness. So that was really helpful for me to understand that this is a lifelong pursuit, and it is work, and it is thought, and it just is relentless because we live in a broken world. And what that means is we're broken, and people are broken, and that hurts, and they're going to wrong us, and we're going to wrong them. So I think forgiveness is probably one of the most important life skills that you can develop. And I'm excited to speak to those of you who are younger than me because if you can learn more than I learned at your stage in life about forgiveness. You'll carry less weight through life than I have. And so uh, my hope is that this will help you on your your journey of learning how to forgive. Uh, Last month and this is just kind of to make the point of how relentless the need for forgiveness is. Last month, I was, I was having a, a pleasant and engaging conversation with my wife. Uh, as far as I could tell, my heart was at peace. There wasn't a lot of turmoil going on inside at that point. And then all of a sudden, it, it shifted. It happened. Um, my wife said, you'll never believe who I ran into at the store. And she said a name that transported me instantly back to one of the most painful times in my life. It was about 13 years ago, and I'm not going to get into what happened, but instantly, at the mention of that name, I felt the same emotion that I had back then, 13 years later. I mean, the anger that I felt, the betrayal that I felt, the fear, all of it just, came, it just came rushing back in. And honestly, I was shocked. Because I thought I had dealt with all that. I thought, I mean, I think I've gone through two rounds of forgiveness on this one. And I thought it was done. I thought I'd forgiven. But all it took was the mention of a name. And all that hurt and all that anger came flooding back, just like it was happening to me back then. And this is is why forgiveness is so important, because the past never stays in the past, especially the hurtful parts of the past. Jesus said in Luke 6, 34, forgive and you will be forgiven. Now, I used to hear those words primarily almost like a threat, because they're they're worded almost like a threat, almost like, if you want to be forgiven, then you better forgive. And that was primarily the way I used to, to hear those words when I would read them. But now I understand what, what Jesus is actually doing is he's kind of, it's kind of like he's handing us a pair of bolt cutters. And he's saying, would you like to be free? Well then, forgive. He's giving us a tool that can be used to break the chains and open the doors of the prison that have been constructed by all of the wrong that people have done to us. And that's amazing. The word forgive means to set free, um, to, to release, to let go. And in a broken world, as I said, full of broken people, that's a helpful tool because we will be wronged. And whenever that happens, the hurt and the anger and the damage that has done to us never stays in the moment it actually becomes attached to us. It's as if a shackle is put around our ankle and a chain is attached to the wrong that's done, and we just move into the future dragging this thing with us. The thoughts, the emotions, it just is added. And then it's added to all the other things that we're already dragging into the future with us. And there's only two solutions that I'm aware of that will allow us to break those chains, to free us from the wrong, that has been done to us in the past? These are the two options we have, either total justice or total forgiveness. Total justice or total forgiveness. Now, total justice sounds possible, but it turns out it isn't. Not for us. For God, yes, not for us. I don't know if you Remember, it was just three years ago when Charles Manson finally died in prison. You know, Charles Manson, the, the mass murderer from five decades ago. And I remember at that moment, they, the article I was reading published some of the responses of family members of the victims of the, the Charles Manson gang had, had murdered back then. And as you read, read through what these family members of the victims who had died at his hands said, it was pretty clear that Charles Manson, spending almost 50 years in prison, did not even begin to repay their loss or ease their pain. I mean, even if he had received the death penalty that he was sentenced to, it still would not have made up for what he took from them. And this is the problem with justice is We don't have a way for making it right, for paying the debt. And whether it's a large wrong like Charles Manson did in murder, or it's a smaller wrong, the problem remains. I mean, think about some smaller wrong. What what is the just payment for damage done by an angry outburst? I, I get upset with my wife and I say something harsh. So if I apologize and ask her forgiveness, that's good. But does that make it like it didn't happen? Does that square everything? Or is there any amount of money that you could pay? Let's say we came up with a formula for, hey, it's $1,000 for every lie spoken about me. Would that, I mean, you might like the $1,000, but would that make the lie go away? No. This is the problem with human justice is there's, There's ways that we try to exact payment, but it's never payment in full. It's never total justice. Now, total forgiveness, on the other hand, sounds totally impossible, but it isn't. So total justice sounds possible, but it isn't. Total forgiveness sounds impossible, but it isn't. Now, it is hard. That's why it sounds impossible. I'm not going to say that, you know, I'm going to give you the three-step formula and you'll, you'll be able to forgive people just like that. It's really hard, but it is not impossible. It can be done. So the question is, why do we choose option one over option two? Why do, why do we, I mean, our preference is justice, right? I mean, that's our first thought. Whenever someone wrongs you, what comes rushing into your heart? Oh, I want to forgive them. That never is the first thought. The first thought is I'm gonna say something, do something, I'm gonna strike back in some way. So what you're saying is I'm gonna now begin to pursue justice on this matter. I have a, a lot of respect for our criminal justice system. In fact, early in my life I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. I thought it'd be so fun winning arguments and putting bad guys away. So I've always wanted to be on a jury. That's the closest thing I could ever get to in the criminal justice system at this point. But every time I get someone for jury duty and I get into that box and get questioned by the attorneys, eventually, I mean, they know, they can see it on the sheet, but eventually it comes up that I'm a pastor. At that point, I know, oh, well, I'm getting kicked out again. (laughs) It's over. Uh, I think the last experience, the prosecuting attorney Probably said it the best way. He, uh, he looked up at me, and he said, I'm in the box, you know, he's just asking individuals questions and potential jurors questions. He asks me, he says, or he says this, he says, so, you're in the forgiveness business, is that correct? And I thought, oh no, I know where this is going. So I tried to cut him off, you know, at the past and said, well, yes, but I, that doesn't mean I think we should let criminals go free. And I tried to explain the nuance between thinking justice is important and goodness, but stu- or good, but still liking forgiveness. But his mind was made up. You know, the label had already been attached. I was part of that forgiving religion. And as far as the prosecuting attorney was concerned, that was a risk he wasn't interested in taking. So you know, they never tell you why. But the next thing you hear is, juror number twelve, you're dismissed. So once again i was kicked off potential jury because everybody knows that jesus was all about forgiveness i mean you can't read the record of his life or hear much about him without hearing the stories and knowing that forgiveness was his mission and of course forgiveness seems like a nice notion i mean it's one of those stories that violins play to and people admire So, you know, it's a positive-sounding kind of thing. But in the mind of most people, it's just not practical. And if you think about it, it really isn't practical. I mean, if you applied forgiveness to an entire culture, to an entire society, how could it run? I mean, imagine if all a business had to do to get out of a conflict was say, oops, sorry, well, then the economy would crash. If everyone was obligated to forgive, and you, know, they could, you could violate a business contract and then just ask for forgiveness. Or what if traffic laws could be ignored? And you just drove through the red light saying, sorry. <laughs> well, you'd eventually drive through the red light and the other car would not forgive as they run into you. So as a practical application, most people realize, I don't, I don't know how this works. In real life. How do I let people off the hook for the wrong that they've done? Justice seems really important. So most people, kind of like that attorney, have this false notion that you have to pick one. You have to be all about justice or you have to be all about forgiveness. Either we prefer pursue justice or we pursue forgiveness. But with God, it's not an either-or. Both are very important. Both are true, both are right. But what's going on now is forgiveness is God's primary focus now, and justice is second in line now. So forgiveness is first, and then justice is second. So it's not an either-or, it's the arranging right now that's going on. So Jesus, when he said, forgive and you'll be forgiven, he was not recommending that countries and cultures should throw out whatever their justice system is. They shouldn't pursue justice. No, not at all. What Jesus was pointing to is the fact that justice isn't the biggest goal in life right now. Justice, it turns out, is the top agenda in the life to come, but not in this life. In the life to come, that's when God says that He will make every wrong right. But in this life, there's a lot of wrongs that aren't getting made right. And there's a lot of right that's getting bad treatment. There's a lot of injustice. You see, Jesus Christ came to this earth as a Savior. His first visit here, His top mission was to provide a means for forgiveness as Savior. He came as Savior. And he said when he left, he will return again. Visit number two, his second visit, he will come not as Savior, he will come as what? Judge. Forgiveness is the big mission now, just because justice is coming. This is the window of chance for forgiveness. When Jesus returns, that window will close. And justice will be done. So now God's main goal is forgiveness, to repair our broken relationship with him. Now, the only way that that can be done is not by saying sorry to God. No, it it must be paid. Our sin must be paid for. The only way that can happen is through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the only one to pay the price for our sin that justice demands. In the next life, then, we will live out what we've decided about Jesus in this life. In this life, if we decide to ignore him, go our own way, then in the next life, God will honor the decision we made in this life. And he will let us have our way. And he will make the separation that we have chosen between us, he will make that permanent. So you can see why justice isn't the top goal in this life. Something much more important is at stake than justice right now. The opportunity to be forgiven is available now and only now. And when we don't forgive someone else, what we're saying is that justice is the top goal, the top priority of this life, and it just simply isn't. That isn't the case. It was Jesus who made this really, really clear when he was dying on the cross, providing the payment for our forgiveness. I mean, his crucifixion, if you look at it just from a human standpoint, it was incredible injustice. I mean, those who had been threatened by the, the rising popularity of Jesus had decided to kill him. So they went looking for dirt. And if you know anything about politics, you can always find dirt on somebody, but they couldn't find dirt on Jesus. So they went to plan B, which is let's make up stuff, let's manufacture dirt. Well, so people did false testimony at his trial before his crucifixion and even their stories couldn't line up. You know, one of the challenges of lying is you you gotta get your story square. Their stories didn't line up. But that didn't stop them. They still crucified him. It was an incredible injustice. They, They used the justice system to falsely accuse and condemn him to death. Now, unlike us, who often can't do anything about the injustice we're facing, Jesus could have stopped at any moment. I mean, he made it clear that there were legions of angels at his command that could have stepped in and done away with this travesty of justice. But he let justice go. He let injustice continue. Why? Because something so much bigger was at stake. A way to forgive us is what hung in the balance, hung on that cross that day. And so justice in front of Pilate, justice in front of the soldiers, justice in front of the screaming, spitting mob, that was just going to have to wait. Because something bigger was afoot. And on the cross, Jesus forgave those who put him there. Now, he makes a statement on the cross that I think identify the two reasons why justice is number two right now, why human justice is not the top goal of life. And I I say this because this is a real basis for us to forgive, because you're going to have to decide, am I going to prosecute my case with this person, or am I going to let it go? That's forgiveness. So I want to focus on a statement that Jesus made on the cross that identify the two reasons why justice is number two. Now, Jesus said seven things on the cross. This is one of the seven. And you have to realize that everything Jesus said came at a tremendous physical pain price. I mean, the way the Romans had invented crucifixion is it was a combination of bleeding to death and suffocating to death. So the bleeding out, obviously, was because of the nails that they would use, pound through the wrists and the ankles to keep someone on the cross, so you'd begin to bleed out. But because of the way you hung, you, you couldn't get a breath, hardly. And so to get enough air in your lungs to speak, you'd have to push yourself up on that, on those nails to say something so there wasn't people weren't chatty on the cross because every word was excruciatingly painful to say so you have to realize that jesus said these words at a tremendous physical pain cost so here's one of the seven statements jesus said every one of them mean a lot very important this is what he says in Luke 23, 34. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. So he looks out at the soldiers who crucified him and says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. I think this says two really important things about why justice is number two now. The first thing is our justice has a payment problem. Human justice has a payment problem. I've kind of alluded to it, but I want to go into it a little bit more. So Jesus looks down on the soldiers who had just nailed him there, and he says, Father, forgive them. Now, they had not nailed the Father to the cross. They had nailed Jesus to the cross. They had pounded the nails into Jesus' wrists and feet. So why didn't Jesus look down and say, I forgive you? Why did he say, Father, forgive them? It's because the wrong that was done to him was like every wrong that's ever done to anybody in the sense that it's never contained to just the moment it occurred or just the people who have been wronged. Every sin is done against God and it it sets in motion a series of impacts that ripples forward in time. It's never isolated. It's never just a moment and just me and them. It ultimately involves God and therefore has an impact ongoing into the future. I think 2 Samuel 14, 14 is a great description of the impact of sin. Here's what it says. It says, like water spilled on the ground, which cannot be recovered, so we must die. But God does not take, life, take away life. Instead, he devises a way so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. So, this verse is describing three things. Once they're done, they can't be undone. You can't recover from these. Water poured out on the ground. You know, if you have a bucket and you trip and it goes out in the ground, you're not getting that water back. It's, it's, the deed is done. You, you, can't, you can't undo that. Death, once someone dies, they're gone. And then the effects of sin is the third one. That's the idea behind a banished person. The reason a person is banished from God is because of their sin. When we sin, the idea is we're not just pouring poison into a bucket that we can take back. We're pouring it onto the ground. And its impact begins to seep beyond the event and beyond the people, and it begins to grow seeds of bitterness and repeated sin. The impact just never stops, it's eternal. It just keeps on going. This is part of why the only true just payment for our sin has to be an eternal payment. Either the payment of Jesus, the eternal God in flesh, or our payment for all of eternity, in separation from God. This is why we're never satisfied with human justice. The payment's never enough, because it, it has to be an eternal payment, and we can't make that payment. At its best, our, our justice system can only assign a payment to the one who pushed over the first domino in all of the effects of sin. It can't clean up the mess. It can't undo it. I mean, just think of the, a deep wrong that someone has done to you, and I would imagine by now you've already had a few names pop into your mind, but just think of maybe one of those scenarios. What would make you feel better about that person? What if they crawled to you on broken glass begging for your forgiveness? Would that make you feel better? I mean, if you're honest, it might bring a little smile to your face, but it's not gonna fix it. The only way to make you whole again would be if what they did or what they said never happened, but you can't go back in time and undo it. <clears throat> it's like wishing that water hadn't been spilled. Yeah, you can stand there and wish, but it's not gonna happen, it's impossible. We can't turn back time and undo the wrong that's been done to us. It's, sin is just bigger than us. Now, we all know this is true, What's interesting about our justice system is whenever there, someone goes on trial in a criminal system primarily, the case is never listed as the victim or victims versus the criminal or accused criminal. So it's never the victims versus Charles Manson, for example. It's always what? The people that says, or the state of California. There's some large group of people, it's not just the individual. But how did the state of California get involved in a crime that was done against a handful of individuals? This is our way of recognizing that whenever wrong is done, it's always much bigger than just the moment, the wrong, and the people that have been wronged. It's much bigger. The crime isn't just against the specific victims, it's against the society, the people, the state that wrote those laws that have been violated. This is why The state opposes. This is why the people oppose. Now, this points to the fact that there is a lawmaker behind every society and behind every culture, and that, of course, is God. What this means is that every sin, every wrong that's done is ultimately against him. So, for example, when I wrong my wife, let's say I say something to her, I do something that's wrong. It feels like it's just between me and her. But if, if there was a case file attached to it, you know what the case file would say? Not Rebecca versus Bevan, if I'm the one doing the wrong. It would be God versus Bevan. Now that's a bigger problem than just Rebecca versus Bevan. Why? It's because it's his laws that I've broken. He is the one that has told me in 1 Peter 3, 7, that I am to live considerately with my wife. Those are his words. And when I do not live considerately with my wife, then I've got a problem with God. Not just her. I do have a problem with her. I do have a relationship with her to clean up, but I've got a bigger problem on my hands than just that. Now, thankfully, God has, as it says back in Samuel, He has devised ways so that a banished person may not remain estranged from him. That's what was occurring on the cross where Jesus said these words of forgiveness. Now just imagine what the soldiers must have thought. I mean, you have to imagine this was probably not their first crucifixion. They'd done many of these, most likely. And what that meant is that they'd heard the screams, of people dying, they'd heard the curses raining down from the crosses as the criminals would curse those who were putting them there. But I promise you, they'd never heard this. They'd never heard anyone from a cross say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. They'd never heard that. What Jesus was saying is that the real issue at this moment in time was not what they were doing to him, but what they were doing to the Father. So in a sense, what Jesus was saying is, let me just get out of the way here and let, and let you deal directly with the one who you got the problem with. They couldn't see me on the cross, I wouldn't think. But in that statement, Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. What that was saying to the soldiers was, you've got a problem with my Father. You need his forgiveness. So, what was the result of Jesus kind of stepping out of the way of that transaction? Well, we get a glimpse in Mark chapter 15, verse 39. This is what it says, and when the centurion, who was in charge of all this, stood there in front of Jesus, stood there in front of Jesus, heard his cry, and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. Now, we're not given details as to where where it goes from here, but this made an impact. Because with one of his last breaths, again, painful breaths, Jesus demonstrated why we need to forgive. What's at stake is something far bigger than justice. What's at stake may be the eternity of the one who has wronged us. That's a bigger deal than the wrong they've done to you. Yes, they've wronged you. But more importantly, they have wronged God. And if they don't get things straightened with God, they will spend eternity in separation from Him. That's the biggest deal of all. That's the biggest horror of all. You see, in the next life, we will all stand before God to give account of our lives to Him, not to each other. And at that moment, the only hope that any of us will have is the forgiveness offered in Jesus Christ. And if we choose to hold on to the wrong that they've done to us, if we keep getting in the way and say, no, you got to deal with us. You got to make it right with us. We're not letting this go. Then we continue to be the distraction. We don't step out of the way and say, really? I'm not the main problem you got. The main problem you have is God. And I want you to get that thing right. Now, if we can get things right, great. But that's the bigger thing. So I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to get out of the way so that you might see the God that you're going to have to deal with. That's what happens when we forgive. When we forgive, we're getting out of the way so that they can deal directly with God. That's a bigger deal. That's why justice is not number one right now. It will be, but it isn't now. Right now, forgiveness is number one. The second reason that human justice is number two is because our justice, human justice, has a conscience problem. First, it has a payment problem. Human justice can't pay the price (laughs) because we have to deal with God. Then it has a conscience problem. So here's the second thing that Jesus said. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. The second thing he said was, for they know not what they are doing. This is a very interesting statement. How could they know not what they were doing? They're nailing someone to the cross. The point is this. These guys were not asking Jesus for forgiveness. They were not conscience stricken. They did not, having finished, nailed him to the cross, sit at the base of that cross and start crying in conviction and guilt over the wrong that they had just done. Now they started dividing up his clothes, casting lots for that like they often did, trying to make a little side money. I mean, there's no evidence they had a tinge of guilt about this. Why not? I mean, they were crucifying an innocent person person who just happened to be God in flesh you know if if your conscience is going to kick in at any point this would be a good time to begin to feel bad about something you've done but it didn't they didn't see it that way they were doing an absolutely awful thing and they didn't feel bad about it at all now let me ask you this or let me say this they are not the only ones who are capable of doing horrible things and not feeling bad about it. We're all capable of that. And we all do that. I mean, again, think about the person who has wronged you deeply. Do they fully see what they have done to you? And do they feel bad about it? Some do. And maybe they've come to you and asked for forgiveness. And it's still hard to forgive, but boy, it's so much easier if someone acknowledges they're wrong and they ask for it. But this is my experience. Most people will not ask for your forgiveness. They'll they'll do something wrong to you. They'll hurt you deeply, and they won't feel bad about it. Maybe they'll blame you for what happened. Or maybe they'll blame somebody else. Or maybe they just won't get it, which is gonna be almost impossible for you to conceive. How can they not feel bad about this? But they won't. That's when it gets really, really hard to forgive. You see, what happens at that point is you begin to take on a trial. You become the lead prosecutor in making the case against them, to get their conscience to finally kick in and realize what they've done. Because our way of thinking is that if they just knew what they did, then they would feel bad about it. And so we, we take on the role of lead prosecutors. We build our case, we present evidence. Does it work? Usually not. They keep not getting it. So what do we do? Well, we gotta gather some more evidence. So we keep gathering more evidence, we keep coming up with new arguments, keep presenting our case, in the hope that one day they will see what they have done to us and they will feel bad. Our hope is that their conscience will one day wake up in this matter. But it often doesn't. But we don't let go because if we were to forgive, you know what that means? We drop the case we're off the case and if we forgive then who's going to pick up the case you know what the answer is no one no person i mean god will eventually but no person is going to take up the cause because no one cares as much about the wrong they did as we do because we were the ones that were wronged and this is one of the challenges with forgiveness the forgiveness is if, if we let this go then there's a very high likelihood that they will never get it. They will never see the wrong they've done to us. And they will never ask us for forgiveness. And that just feels wrong. The truth is this. We can never make anybody get it. It took me a long time, and I still have a hard time accepting this one. Because I'm a talker. I like to present arguments, and I just think, well, the reason you haven't gotten it is you haven't heard the perfect argument yet. I think I've got it. I think I've just constructed the three or four sentences that will make every light bulb go off in your head. So give me a minute, and I'll say my carefully crafted words, and I'll look at them, and it'll be, they don't get it. What really helped me on this was to realize Jesus wasn't able to make people get it. I mean, he made it really clear when people were turning away from him. He said, the Father's the one that draws hearts to himself. I'm not, I, don't, I don't do that. The Father does that. So Jesus is hanging on the cross, having done miracle after miracle after miracle, not in private, in public. I mean, just imagine at that point, You, there were hundreds of people you could go talk to and say, so were you one of the people there when Jesus all of a sudden made all these these fishes and loaves appear? Yeah, I ate some of that stuff. It was good. I mean, there, there was evidence of this. You could, You could find this out. Jesus had done all this stuff. People still didn't get it. So what was Jesus going to do now? He's hanging on the cross. This is his last big chance. Would it be one big giant miracle that he would perform that would just make everyone get it one final display of power i mean that's what i thought when i was younger i would think man if jesus had just done the legion of angels thing man that would have made a great movie (laughs) that'd be a great moment and by the way one of the hard things with forgiveness this is this is an extra freebie thrown in is most movies are are revenge based so when you watch a movie they're not helping you to forgive They're giving you ideas for how to stick it to people who have wronged you. And it feels so good, that's why they make so much money. I'm not saying don't watch movies, just realize you're entering into a no-forgiveness period of time here. So watch your heart. So what would Jesus do? One more miracle, one display of power, one more speech? No. What he did is described in 1 Peter 2, 23. When they hurled... Their insults at him, these are the people on the cross, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. I mean, can you imagine how hard that would have been? If I was God in flesh hanging on the cross, I would have probably let a little something slip out like, you just wait. (laughs) I would have made some threat, at least some hint of a threat, but not Jesus. Why? Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Justice came second. He let it go. He let justice go and forgave. Why? Jesus knew that if he retaliated and threatened, it would be a distraction. See, we can't make anyone get it, but we can get in the way of them getting it. When we don't forgive, instead we prosecute a case, all they see and hear is our threats. And that will prevent them from seeing the fact that they have an appointment with God one day. And it will keep them from hearing God's invitation of forgiveness if they don't hear it from us. So we have a decision to make whenever someone wrongs us. What are we going to go for? Total justice or total forgiveness? Now, as I said, they're both really, really hard to do. But I promise you, total justice is impossible. Only God can do that one. And the pursuit of justice is so impossible that it will consume your whole life and your whole heart and your whole mind and you will never accomplish it. That's a waste. Total forgiveness, though, is possible. It is also a lifelong effort. But it can be done. And it is so free. And God can use it in ways that are pretty incredible. So in the words of Jesus, again in Luke 23, 34, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Let's pray. Father, we... um, We keep a pretty tight record of the wrongs that are done to us. And it's really easy for us to get into full justice mode. But we thank you that you have, in Jesus Christ, forgiven us. And therefore, we want to learn how to forgive as we have been forgiven. So I pray that in these last moments as we've thought of those who have wronged us, maybe some people just so deeply it's even hard for us to think about it. Oh God, I pray you'd help us to remember how much you have loved us, how much you have forgiven us so that we might turn around and offer what we've been given. And we pray that in doing so, You would help us get out of the way and stop being a distraction so that those who have wronged us might see you and not us and deal with you and not us. This is so hard. We need your help. We pray for it. We ask this in the name of our Savior who hung on that cross and paid that price and said these words. Amen. Thanks for listening to session one of our Spring Break 2021 conference. You can listen to new and archived episodes of this podcast on your favorite podcast platform. And if you like what you heard, leave us a rating and review on iTunes because it helps us to reach others with these messages. Once again, you can learn more about us at usccristianchallenge.com or find us on social media at USC Challenge. We'll see you in the next one.